John chapter 19. We've come as far as 16 and 17. If you can remember a week ago, sometimes I can. Verse 16 says, And then delivered he, Pilate, him, Jesus, therefore to them, the Jews, to be crucified. And they took Jesus and they led him away. And then 17, importantly, it says, And he, bearing his cross, went forth. That tells us something very important. That when Jesus left the Praetorian to go, it's between a quarter and a half mile to get to Golgotha, to the hill, that he was carrying the cross himself when he left. He went bearing the cross. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are going to tell us now about a man named Simon the Cyrene who carries the cross somewhere from around the gate of Jerusalem the rest of the way. John doesn't tell us maybe because his son uh, was notable in the church at that point in time, didn't want to name, but as, as we head in here, it's important enough to the Lord that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us in one sentence what happens in this process of carrying the cross. The Lord wants us to know. The Lord takes note to have this man that served him in this way unwillingly at first put into the scripture. Matthew says it this way. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene. Now, Mark and Luke says Simon the Cyrenian, which gives us his nationality. Uh, Matthew seems to indicate he was a Cyrenian that had come from Cyrene. So he's not living locally. They found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear the cross. Mark's going to tell us the same thing. They have to compel him. The idea is they, they force him. They commandeer him. And then Luke's going to say they seized upon him. <clears throat> so Jesus says specifically, if they compel you, chapter 5 of Matthew, to go with them one mile, same word, go with them two miles. And here it says they had to compel this man, his name is Simon. In Mark chapter 15, verse 21, it says, again, and they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian. And Mark tells us he's just passing by. And he gets caught in this scene. He's coming out of the country, Luke says that too, the agros. Uh, we get agriculture. And the idea is in one of the outlying districts because Jerusalem was crowded at Passover. People would stay in the region around it as well. He's coming out of the country. And then Mark alone says to us, he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they compelled him, he says, to bear the cross. Luke tells us this. He says, and as they led him away, they laid hold, having seized the idea upon one, Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. On him they laid the cross. And then Luke tells us, importantly, that he might bear it after Jesus. So what it's telling us there is once he took the cross, 
Jesus was in front of him, and he was bearing the cross after Jesus coming behind him. And then Luke adds, And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves, for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, which was considered a curse in Israel. Jesus said, They're going to say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear and the breast that never nursed. They shall, then shall they begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall they do when it's dry? So we have this picture, this man, first of all, this individual, Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene is where Libya is today, part of North Africa. Two huge Jewish communities in North Africa. One in Alexandria. Alexandria is the second largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome. Population over 750,000. And two-fifths of the city was divided into fifths were Jewish. Over 250,000 Jews live in Alexandria. That's why Joseph and Mary took Jesus there. He was able, they were able to disappear in the crowd there. Then in Libya, on the north coast, there's a plateau about 800 foot above the sea level. And because of its position, Alexander the Great settled it, and it became Cyrene, this place there, where now there's a large Jewish community. In both places, Alexandria, Cyrene, there's wealthy Jews that are just working class. And it's 800 miles by sea to get to the port in Israel, Joppa most likely. And it was uh, over a thousand miles overland. And we meet this man, Simon, who's made this journey probably a once in a lifetime trip. He's come for the Passover. We don't know if he's planning, you know, no doubt he'll stay the whole Passover week. Does he stay for Pentecost? We don't know, but he makes this once-in-a-lifetime trip to this area. The Cyrenians had a major place in Jerusalem in the New Testament. We read this in Acts chapter 2, as all of these different people come and they hear the 120 speaking in tongues, and they hear them all speaking in their own language. And they say, aren't these guys Galileans? How do they know this? And it tells us there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia and Pontus, those of Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, about Cyrene and strangers from Rome. So there, there were there those on that day at the feast, those from Cyrene were told in Acts chapter 6 as Stephen is debating in some of the synagogues. It says, And there arose certain of the synagogues, which is called the synagogues of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and Asia, they were disputing with Stephen. So 
there's enough wealth in Alexandria and in Cyrene that they have their own synagogue there in Jerusalem. Uh, we are told then in chapter 11, as they flee from the persecution that's taking place in Jerusalem, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word none not to the Jews, uh, but none to the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So coming from a Greek colonist, they were Hellenist Jews. They spoke Greek. God's using them in this situation as the church is scattered. But then interestingly, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and as Simeon, which is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. So Lucius and Simeon are of Cyrene, and it tells us specifically that Simeon is called Niger, which is a Latin word for black. So we know this man is either a Hellenist Jew uh, who's come on pilgrimage from um, Cyrene, or he's an Ethiopian uh, convert, uh, a proselyte that has come now on a once-in-a-lifetime trip, which seems more likely. So that they're there, they're praying, and in that scene, those men, those men lay hands on Saul, who's not yet Paul, on Paul and on Barnabas, and send them off the first missionary journey of the church of Jesus Christ. So this man is brought before us. Sons, Rufus and Alexander, in fact, Alexander's name first, possibly because church tradition tells us he was martyred um, in 1941, before Israel becomes a nation, excavations in the Kidron Valley in the southwest corner find a Cyrenian tomb where people from Cyrene were buried. And on one of the ossuaries, it's engraved twice. Simon, no, no, Alexander, the son of Simon, twice. Alexander, the son of Simon. And tradition is he was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. Rufus, church tradition tells us, becomes the first bishop of the church in Spain. We know he had been in Rome. Paul had a burden to get to Spain. Perhaps it was through that. But these two sons that mark names, our records are that they end up to be believers. And God, it's through their dad. And God brings this man all the way from North Africa to the Passover and Simon thinks he's coming for one thing, and God has him coming for another, to bear the cross of the Savior, slain from the foundation of the world. Acts 2.23, by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God, which means from the foundation of the world, God knew Simon the Cyrene 
who would get commandeered, compelled in this situation because his son would be so weak he would need human assistance to finish his work. Isn't that remarkable? So this man comes all of that distance to make this pilgrimage. He's going to carry the cross for your Savior, my Savior. And he never read the chapter. Remember that as we look into it. He's come for a completely different reason. Now, as he comes there, the scene, he's coming out of a district outside of Jerusalem. It's Passover, the day of Passover. No doubt he's excited. It began at evening the night before. He's coming to Jerusalem. He's going to go into the temple. He's excited as he comes, you know, and as he's coming in, there's kind of a ruckus, you know, uh, what a gaper delay is. You know, you get stuck for an hour on the on 95 when you get there. There's a guy changing a tire. The whole world's been slowing down to watch. You know, the, he, there's this ruckus. There's this gaper delay as he's coming in. And there's people. There's, a, there, there, there's this ruckus. People are yelling. Some people are mocking. Some people are questioning. Some people look completely sober. There's women that are weeping. Then there's women professionals that are wailing. There's Roman soldiers plus at least one centurion. And, and as he comes, he kind of slows down to, to see what's going on. It says Jesus is coming out. He's coming in. So this is right outside the gate, close, close to nine o'clock in the morning, fairly close. And there's this encounter. And He's, he's looking at this scene, doesn't realize that God had put it in his heart from childhood to be a curious individual. A lot of people would have just walked right by. Not Simon. He had a job to do and he didn't know it. And from the time he was a little kid, you may have one of those kids at home that's curious, that puts things in the electrical outlets. That doesn't, there's, there's a design there. If they survive, you'll see. Um, and it had been in his heart. So he's a guy that slows down. He wants to see. Does he hear crucifixion? Maybe he's never seen a crucifixion. And here are these three men. And they're, they're carrying their cross. Now, we're not sure they're carrying just the top part, the horizontal bar, the padulum, I'm sorry, patibulum. The stipe was the upright part of the cross. Most of the time, they would just carry the cross piece, sometimes the whole thing, which would be incredibly heavy. They would carry the cross piece. Their arms would be tied to it. And one Roman tradition says they'd put a rope around one of their ankles and occasionally pull their feet out from under them so they'd smash on their face on the ground. It's an interesting picture because the high priest on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when he went behind the veil, the only time during the year they tied a leather rope around his ankle so that if he died in there, who went and, who nobody wanted to go in and get him, they could drag him out. Uh, here's these three men. Two of them, I'm sure all three of them kind of, you know, fit, you know. Uh, two of them more defiant. But this third figure is beaten and bloody his face doesn't even look human. He has a crown of thorns. He's soaked from the scourging in blood. 
And as Simon's there looking at this, wondering, he feels on his shoulder either a sword or a spear, cold piece of metal. It was called the Angarian Rite. Uh, again, they, they had the right, the Romans, to put, and it was from Cyrus that had been developed in Persia. They perfected it. They could put a sword on your shoulder, and you had to carry for them whatever they asked you to carry for a mile. Jesus said, they ask you to go one, go two. Familiar. And as he's there watching, this, this cold piece of steel comes on his shoulder, if you can imagine. And there's a voice says, hey, you, pick that up. Pick that up and take that. And you think it says that they had to compel him. It says in Luke they had to seize on him. Was he resistant? I'm sure that he was. He couldn't say no, even though he was resistant, might have tried to talk his way out of it. He couldn't refuse because that was the death penalty. He refused Caesar. So he has to then take this cross. Just imagine, because this third person was staggering. We don't know if he fell. A lot of people assume that he was halting. He was no doubt breaking down under the weight of it. These guys wanted to get to the hill and get it over with. So... They grab this guy, you do this, and they single him out. And he has to pick up this bloody crossbar, at least, drenched in blood because it had been across the back, the traps, the top of Jesus' body that was all mangled from the scourging. And he's thinking, are you kidding me? This, I take hold of this thing. I'm defiled for Passover. I can't celebrate. I'm bloody. He's humiliated because... To be executed that way, crucifixion in, in the Roman world was humiliating. They didn't talk about it in proper Roman society. Only Caesar could pass an edict that a Roman citizen could be crucified. That's why Paul was decapitated. He was a Roman citizen. Criminals, rebels, foreigners crucified. And in this scene, he's got to take this, and he's thinking, what are people going to think? People are going to look at me. They're going to think I'm the third guy here. And he's got to be thinking, why is this happening? Now look, I mention that because this is a divine interruption. This guy was chosen to do what he's doing. He has no, no idea of that at this point. And there are times in our life when we, you and I are commandeered. We're compelled to do something. We're forced to give some freedom we think we should have to go to the temple to worship the Lord or whatever. And some circumstance, some situation, some inconsiderate human being says, I need you to do this. And because we're Christian, we say, oh, I guess I got to do it. I'm a Christian, you know. Goes to church where I goes to church. You know, just you, you can, you know, how you and I do that. You can imagine what he's thinking. And this, he, he, he's thinking, what? Well, look at, well, I hate Rome. I hate this government. Just imagine. That thinks they can make you do whatever they want you to do. <clears throat> I wonder, is he looking at Jesus? And thinking, why do I have to pay for your sins?
And it's this divine interruption. They happen in our lives too. He doesn't know it's divine. You and I, because we're saved, we're God's sons and daughters, we're supposed to, I don't do well at it all the time, have a context, okay, Lord, this couldn't be happening to me unless it was in your will. We watch him here going through this. And as it's happening, he takes the crossbar from Jesus and Jesus, it says, is in front of him. Luke tells us they begin to walk. And then all these women are there wailing and weeping. And this one who's in front of him stops and says, you daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. The time's coming where you're going to say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never conceived and the breasts that never nursed. And if they do this when the tree is green and flourishing, what are they going to do when it's dry? He had already prayed for them in in Luke chapter 19, coming into Jerusalem. It says he's weeping and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if thou hadst only known the things that belong to this thy day, and now your house is going to be left unto you desolate and they're going to surround you. And, and he says, the, the, they're going to kill your children. They're going to take this. You're going to wish that it had never happened. And one stone's not going to be left. He had already prayed for this group of women. Now he's telling them, don't, don't pray for me. Pray for yourselves. Look. And I have to believe, you know, Simon is listening and watching. What's the tone of his voice as he talks to these women? And he knows what's going to come upon them. What would the tone of his voice be as he he talked to us today, knowing what's in our future between now and the rapture? I think it was incredible tenderness an incredible majesty at the same time. I think there was a kindness that had never been seen and a power that had never been experienced. Simon's watching this brutalized person talk to these women in tenderness, the tone of his voice, how he looked at them. And somewhere in the process, I believe, he turns and he looks at Simon What were those eyes like? What was that face like beaten beyond human recognition? His eyes, Simon, face to face with the Passover lamb, closer to the Passover lamb than Moses had ever been. Thinking that the Passover has been ruined, he's the only one in Jerusalem who is genuinely celebrating Passover. And I wonder as we watch this scene and he carries now this cross to Golgotha, does he stay? Does he stay? I have to imagine he's overwhelmed. He can't go back to celebrate the Passover. He must watch. Does he hear the seven sayings? As they're nailing Jesus, they would untie his arms, then they would put the the horizontal piece on the upright piece, and then nail him to the cross. Is he hearing Jesus say, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. And he's thinking, I, I griped because I had to carry it. He's getting nailed to it. And he's talking to his father about forgiving the people that are doing it. Imagine the things that he heard there until he finally heard, of course, it is finished to tell us paid in full. And then, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He had stood there through three hours of darkness. When the light came back on again and Christ breathed his last, there was an earth place was shaken. He heard the centurion say, truly, this was the Son of God. What was in his heart when he left to go back to the country again, wherever he was staying at the end of that day? What was it like three days later? He stayed, no doubt, for the whole, at least the Passover feast, eight days. What was it like when he heard three days later, there's rumors, the tomb is empty. The, the soldiers are saying his disciples came and stole him by night, but we know that can't be true. There are those who said they've seen him, some of the women, and talked with him. Was he there during the 40 days that Christ was with his disciples waiting for Pentecost? Because it says at one point Christ appeared to over 500 of them during that period of time. Was he one of them? Was he there on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell? The church began. We know he comes, becomes part of that church in Antioch as time goes on. Imagine the scene. Realizing Christ had not only gone to that hill to die for him, Christ had gone to that hill to die as him. Christ didn't just die for me. He died as me. All of my sin, past, present, and future were upon him. And because of that, he had to become the propitiation, the place where God's wrath would be satisfied and would have been satisfied on my sin and was satisfied on my sin on the sin bearer. Simon would come to realize these things, no doubt, as time would go by. Certainly one of the things he would realize is that Rome is not in control, that coincidence is not a kosher word, as the Jews would say. He would come to realize some things. And what would he say to us this morning? You know, listen to your heart. Simon says, <laughs> it's just hard to pass up when you, when you get here. You know, what, what is he saying to us in the picture? I'm thinking, how do I do when I'm interrupted? How do I do when some circumstance seems to take away some freedom I thought I had for that day or in that situation? And all of a sudden, because I'm a, I'm a believer, he wasn't, I've got to give things up. My pastor, spiritual father Chuck Smith used to say, as I talked to him, he said, Joe, every day I get up and I pray, Lord, help me get done the things I need to get done today and give me grace when I get interrupted. He said, because if I'm expecting to be interrupted, you can't interrupt me. I was expecting you, you know. He, he just said he went through, you know, and I think I'm not good at it. I'm not good when the person in front of me is driving at 34 and a 35 mile an hour speed zone, you know. And I look at it and he says to me, there's things you can learn. There's things you can learn. 
because I complained and I griped. And I had the cross of my Savior on my shoulder and was able to carry it to the mill. Don't complain in divine interruptions because you never know. God is doing something with your life. He is as interested in you as he was in me. I think, Lord, another thing, you know, what was it like to be there and do that? You know, and we can think, Lord, if I was there, I'd have carried it for you, right? Just me and Timmy. Nobody else? <laughs> Good thing you were here on the live stream. They think, what kind of church is that anyway? You know, if we were there, we'd get a time machine and that big wheel starts to spin and you go back. We'd have carried the cross for him, right? Okay. Well, here's the good news. There's still plenty of cross to go around. You have not been gypped at all. Jesus said this. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Plenty of it to go around. And look, understand, your cross, my cross, the cross that we may carry, is not the literal cross, of course, that Simon carried. It's not a cross that is carried for propitiation. You and I will never carry a cross that pays for sins. That's ridiculous. And you and I do foolish things like, yeah, my cross, my mother-in-law. That is not what it's talking about here. Okay? <laughs> Each one of us has something that only you can do. Out of every human on the earth, every Christian, there's something for you to bear that nobody else can bear. And it's in his name and it's for him that he would have you bear, which might mean giving up a certain amount of freedom you think you deserve or it may mean interrupting something you thought was important for you to do or somewhere you think you should be going. And all of a sudden there's a divine interruption. And you think, Lord, I'll carry this. It's for you, I'll carry it. I want to do this, Lord, for you. When we get to heaven, Simon will be the only one that could have carried that cross. And when we get to heaven, you will be the only one that could have carried yours. No other human. You're in it. And look, Simon, you know, he comes to realize in his lifetime, what I did has affected the world. That cross I carried. You're not going to realize it till you get to heaven. But the cross you're carrying is also effectual for the cause of Christ. You will see the results of that in eternity. It says there's good works foreordained that we should walk in them and that they'll bring him glory. Third thing I take notice of is that Simon is a family man. He has a wife back in Cyrene and he has a couple of little boys, Alexander, and Rufus. I kind of be afraid to name a boy Rufus. I don't know what he'd be into. It just sounds like he'd be trouble. And what was it like for him when this is over? Did he stay the seven days? Did he stay till Pentecost? 
Is he making an 800 mile by sea to come home or is he traveling overland? The family's excited. They're expecting him at a certain time. He, he couldn't have faxed them, couldn't have emailed them, couldn't have sent them a, a selfie with him and Jesus. You know, they're, they're waiting. They have no idea. And he's stewing. He's, you know, sifting all up through this, all through his heart and his mind as he's going. It's all distilling, you know. And as he comes home, you know, first of all, were the boys expecting, you know, souvenirs? I've been to Israel over 30 times now. When all the kids were little, they were always waiting for the souvenir. I don't know if they're happy to see me, but they always wanted the souvenir. When you got them, always got them something, a rock, you know, something. Uh, what are the boys expecting? Here comes dad and his wife, honey, you know. What, what was it like? What was the temple like? What was Passover like? The questions. And he probably went, let me, let me get myself together. Let me pull myself together. I met the Passover lamb. The Messiah. And I carried his cross. You should have seen the look in his face. The tone of his voice. The power. The majesty, the tenderness, the mercy, the grace. And he died for us. He died for you, honey. Alexander Rufus, he died for you, little guys. He died for us. And he loves us. And he would carry that cross for the rest of his life. Every day. Every Passover, every time he sat down at the communion table, he would carry that cross. And it was real. And those little boys would say, Dad, tell us again. Tell us again. Because when he came, he didn't say, oh, the service was great this morning. Worship was cool, except they played one song too long. You know, just it wasn't a Christian culture, you know, they would say, Daddy, tell us, because every time he told the story, his voice broke. The emotions were there. It was always as fresh as it was the first time to these wide-eyed kids. And he told them over again, he loves you. He died for you. See the look in his face, the tone of his voice. What he did on that hill, the darkness, what he accomplished for you, and he's alive, he's risen, and they would be mesmerized because what he was doing was coming from a real place. Let me tell you something. We are living in a day and an age in a dark and lost and confused world that needs to hear from Christians who know Jesus Christ. It's not enough for us to say, oh, you should go to church, worship school. It's not enough, oh, you should do this, get a one-way salt and pepper shake or whatever. You know, when you talk to your kids, your grandkids, your neighbor, your friend, is it real? He loves you. He died for you. You have to understand who he is and what he's accomplished.
the world is perishing. And you have the answer. I, I again, don't know what future, you know, you have and your children in this country, but I know this country has no future without you. And when we tell it to our kids, do they say, tell us again? Tell us again, Dad. Or do they, don't, don't ask him, he'll tell you that. You know, These boys, over and over, they heard it. Because he carried the cross every day. He never put it down. It was on his heart, it was on his mind. It was central over all of the other things in his life. As the gospel has to be for you and I. And I think these boys probably said as they listened to him, Dad, what about us? What about us? Is that for us too? He said, yes, because he said, suffer the little children to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of God. Yes, it's for you boys. And these two young guys grow up in a house. They come to faith and imagine the whole time you're growing up as a Christian young person, my dad, he's the one that carried the cross for Jesus. My dad did that. My dad bore the burden that the Lord put on him. It is without a doubt that they become a force in the church. That's why Mark says, Simon the Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. The reason is, is because Alexander and Rufus were so well known in the church that he could identify Simon by his better known sons. Because he's writing, Mark's writing 25 to 30 years after the ascension. Simon has probably passed away by then. He had been at Antioch with Paul, which means his wife was probably there as well. We don't know if Alexander was already martyred by then, but imagine this dad thinking, my son laid down his life for the Savior. We're going to see each other. How incredible. Rufus was probably there in Antioch. And this man, Simon, gets to lay hands on Saul and be one of the men that sends him forth into the missionary endeavor that has reached unto us today. Simon. Paul, when he writes to the Romans, and Mark's gospel was written to the Romans, some even feel that Mark wrote the gospel from Rome. Paul says in the many people he's greeting there in chapter 16, verse 13, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord. I'm sure his dad had told him that many times. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, and mine. So Alexander may be martyred by this time. Rufus, at this point, is in Rome with his mother, Simon's wife. And Paul says, she has mothered me. She has cared for me. And no doubt, she remembers sitting in Antioch and Simon and Saul of Tarsus speaking. 
And Saul's saying, what was it like to carry that thing? Tell me about that day from your perspective. I remember the darkness. I didn't know what was going on. But I walked in darkness so long. I, I, I persecuted the church. I did all of these things wrong. And Simon must have said, no, no, Saul, you should have heard the tone of his voice. He was so broken over the lost. You should have seen the tenderness and the majesty. And he hung in that place for you and I, Saul. Imagine the conversations they had. How will we deal this week with our interruptions? How will we handle them as they come? Don't tell me because you won't, you know, because you want to be telling the truth. I don't handle interruptions all that well. I can get cranky. Ask everybody who knows me better than you. Am I willing this week to pick up whatever cross it is he has for me, whatever thing he has for me to do for him that will further his purposes? Simon was just one guy in a crowd. He didn't think any did whatever be mattered to anybody else. He had no idea that he would be famous around the world and that three gospel writers would present him to us 2,000 years later. He just ended up doing something mundane that he, he, he hated. He resented it. But not you and I, right? We'll have some interruptions this week, and in those interruptions there's going to be a cross. And our Savior, who held nothing back for us, is going to say, do this for me. I know you don't want to do this for me. Take this, carry it. And I think, what are we going to give to our spouse, our kids this week, our grandkids? Is it going to be real or is it going to be pablum? Is it going to be Christianity as a religion or Christ as a savior? No doubt when Paul would write to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God into salvation. Simon would have said, Amen. When he wrote Galatians and said, you know, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ. He, he said, you're telling me, you know, I had that thing on my shoulders, you know. Every day for the rest of his life, I'm sure... Jesus was just so real to him. He carried that cross. But it was in the circumstance that things were revealed to him. And I believe that in whatever he's called us to do, and look, you and I have a blessing that they didn't. Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Thomas, do you believe because you've seen? There's a blessing for those. It was a blessing for Simon. He carried the cross. He saw Christ. But Jesus himself said, there's a blessing for you and I that they will never know. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Embrace your interruptions. If you have no problem with them, pray for me. I do that I would embrace my interruptions this week. Pray that in them I could take up whatever may restrict my freedom 
or my preconceived plans, what I thought I was going to do. And pray that in all that, Jesus is so real to me that when I talk to my grandkids, when I talk to my sons and daughters, they'll say, tell us again. Tell us again, Grandpa. Tell us about Jesus again. Amen. Let's stand and let's pray. And if you need to be saved today, and you don't know this Jesus that we're talking about, please come up after the service. We'd love to pray with you, give you a copy of this scripture. Lord, we put these things before you. We thank you. We move through them. We look at the angles. We look at the images you give us. We try to consider things. Lord, certainly we don't know all of what this was like for Simon or for you, Lord. But we think of you together and we think that you're in love with us as much as you were in love with him. That for the, the glory that was before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame. You saw us. You, you knew we would be yours. You knew we'd be here this morning. You knew we would be reading these things and talking about them and examining our hearts. And you knew that we'd be coming to you saying, Lord, help me do this better, Lord. I don't, Lord, just want to talk about you. I want to talk from you, Lord. We believe when we ask that, Lord, we're praying according to your will. Draw us aside to yourself this week, we pray in your name. Amen.